together with joy as the body of Christ. Let's lift our voices together in praise to our God. Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great things, done great things for us. See what our Savior has done. His love overcomes He has done great things He has done great things Oh, era of heaven You conquered the grave You free every captive And break every chain Oh, God You have done great things We dance in Your freedom Awaken your light, oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lives in high, oh God, you have done great things. You're faithful to us in every storm, you've been faithful through every storm, you'll be faithful forevermore.
Good morning. Have a seat, please. Welcome to Faith Bible Church on this lovely Sunday morning. My name is Seth, and I'm the pastor of Adult Connections. It is wonderful to gather with you this morning as we magnify the name of the Lord this morning. Taylor Bauer is leading worship for us again this morning. Good to see you, Taylor. How are you? Good. All right. Taylor does an amazing job uh, for us when he fills in, so uh, we're glad that he's here this morning. We're glad you're here. If you're new to Faith Bible uh, this morning, we are especially glad that you're here uh, on, this, uh, on this Sunday. Uh, we have a new welcome center, and that we would love for you to visit it. It's right out these doors, uh, out the back of the sanctuary, and there'll be some folks here uh, there uh, after the service to meet you and get to know you. And, and so we hope that you're blessed by your time with us uh, if you're visiting, if you're new. And, and again, we'd love to see you at our brand new welcome center. Uh, this morning. And speaking of the new Welcome Center, this morning only, one time only, we are giving away Faith Bible mugs to anyone who wants them. So even if you're not new, even if you've been here for a long time, like Patty DeFries, you could come get a free Faith Bible mug this morning uh, and celebrating our new Welcome Center. The children get 35,000 square feet, uh, the youth get about 50,000 square feet, I get about 100 square feet. Uh, <laughs> It's the size of a small New York apartment. So uh, come by and see me in the Welcome Center after the service. Uh, a few brief announcements this morning before we continue in the service. Uh, I do want to encourage you to take a look at your bulletin. There's a lot going on uh, in this season of Faith Bible. But first off, for those interested in learning more about our Kenya mission trip this summer, uh, there will be an informational meeting next uh, Sunday afternoon at 1215 in room E7. Uh, the, tri the trip itself is May 28th through, the through June 8th. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, sharing the gospel that's been going on, church planting activities. You're going to be visiting local schools and prisons. So if you want to find out more about the Kenya Mission trip this summer, I would encourage you to be at that information meeting next Sunday afternoon at 1215 in room E7. Second, also next Sunday, we have our next New Member Connection workshop. And so if you're, uh, if you're new to Faith Bible or if you're maybe wanting to start the membership process, we would love for you to be there next Sunday evening. We're going to go from about 6 to 730 uh, in the fellowship hall, so right down this hallway to our right. And uh, child care is available for that, and uh, we'd love to have you sign up for that on the Faith Bible website and be there next uh, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. And then lastly, on, Sat on Sunday, February 23rd, uh, we will be celebrating baptisms in our morning services. And so, wow, <laughs> baptisms got a woo. So, yeah, if you want to be a part of that, we need you to sign up by Wednesday, uh, February the 5th. Uh, to schedule a meeting with a pastor to find out more about baptisms, and we'd love for you to do that. And again, you can go to the Faith Bible website and sign up for that. So as we turn our attention back to worshiping the Lord this morning, I want to read us Psalm 717. Uh, there the psalmist says this, I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing about the name of the Lord Most High. So as we gather to do that this morning, let's stand and uh, greet one another and continue singing God's praises to him. Thanks so much for being here today.
of what Christ has accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. It's enough. It's enough to cover our sin. It's enough to raise us to new life. There's nothing for us to add to Christ's work as we just sang together as Christ cried upon the cross. It's our cry as well. It is finished. And we can find peace and grace in that this morning. So we echo the words of the psalmist in Psalm 115 when he wrote, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for your steadfast love and your faithfulness to us. Let's continue to worship in light of that.
of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever
us pray together. God, we take heart this morning. We praise you because you are a firm foundation. Though all else might pass away, God, we worship you, the one, the only, the triune, eternal God. God, in this time, may your grace and your peace be multiplied to us as we consider your word together. God, open our hearts to receive you. As we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Now, it's great to see everybody here this morning. It was great singing here this morning as we lift our hearts in praise and worship to our great God. Uh, he alone's worthy of it, and it's wonderful to gather together with God's people on the Lord's Day and sing praises to His name and study His Word together as well. Uh, this is an exciting Sunday here at Faith Bible Church, and so why is this an especially exciting Sunday? Well, we're beginning a new series, and that's always exciting. For every, every Sunday's exciting, but I love these new series. We finished First Peter last summer and uh, did a couple of topical series. Uh, but now we want to get into Second Peter. We're just—it's a perfect uh, follow-up to the book of First Peter. So we're going to begin this morning a study of the epistle of 2 Peter, and we've, we've titled this uh, new series, uh, Know and Grow, and I'm anticipating what God will do in our lives through this study, uh, that God will do in us and do through us as we place ourselves in submission uh, underneath the Word of God, and that's what we come here every Sunday really to do. We come to place ourselves underneath the Word of God in submission to it, to allow it to change us and transform our lives. So as we begin this new study together, let's bow our hearts in prayer as we commit this entire study to the Lord. Our Father, we come before you now this morning and we, we thank you for so great salvation that you've given us through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we, we stand before you here this morning. We sit before you as vessels of mercy that you've poured out upon us and lavished upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for Faith Bible Church. I thank you for your goodness and grace over the years uh, to this fellowship. And Father, as we move into this new year, I pray that we'll surrender our hearts and lives to you. Father, I pray for every one of us here, whether it's in our family or in our business, whatever it may be, that we'll feel the wind of your spirit at our backs, guiding us and empowering us and refreshing our lives. Father, I thank you for your people here at Faith Bible Church and their hunger for your word. I pray that you'll satisfy that hunger over these next few months as we study 2 Peter together. Use this study to feed our souls, to transform our lives. We commit this study to you, and we ask that in all that's said here, the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as we begin this study of 2 Peter, I want to do uh, what we often do when we begin uh, a new book study together. I want to kind of give uh, a little bit of a flyover of the book, kind of a view from 30,000 feet and kind of fill in some of the background of the book. And uh, then I want to dive into the book this morning and look at the first couple of verses together. So uh, to set the, the stage for us this morning, let me read uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who've received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May the Lord write His eternal word on our hearts uh, this morning. 
Uh, there's a story I read some time back about a man in New York City, and he had a wife who had a cat. Now, actually, the cat had her. I mean, she loved this cat. She would stroke it and comb its fur, and she would feed it and pamper it. Now, this man, though, however, he detested the cat. I mean, he was allergic to cat hair, hated the smell of the litter box. Um, he couldn't stand the scratching on the furniture and could never get a good night's sleep with the cat jumping on and off the bed all night. So when his wife, Lovett, was out of town once for the weekend, he put the cat in a bag with some rocks and dumped it in the Hudson River. And he uttered a joyful goodbye to the cat. And that's not why I like the story, by the way. I'll be getting to the other part. But when his wife returned home and couldn't find the cat, she was overwhelmed with grief. And so the husband said, look, honey, I know how much that cat meant to you, so let's put an ad in the paper and give a $500 reward to anybody who finds it. And of course, no cat showed up. So a few days later, he said, honey, you mean more to me than anything in the world, and I want to see you happy again. And so let's up the ante. I want to increase the amount in the ad to a $1,000 reward for the return of the cat. Well, a friend of his saw the ad and knew that he didn't like the cat at all. And he said, uh, you must be out of your mind. There's no cat that's worth that much money. And you didn't even like that cat anyway. And the man said, well, you know, uh, when you know what I know, he said, you can afford to be generous. <laughs> now, that story reminds us that being in the know about something can have a profound impact on your attitudes and your actions, Right? And when you think about it, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are uniquely in the know. Um, we know God. Uh, we know we pass from death to life. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. We know that Jesus is coming again. And what we know should affect the way we live and the way we act. Like the man in our story, when you know what you know, you can afford to have confidence about uh, your salvation. You can afford to believe that good can come from bad. Uh, you can afford to pray boldly and to give generously. You can afford to, to leave justice with God. You can afford to grow old gracefully, knowing uh, that the best is yet to come. And on and on we could go. But being in the know about God and who God is and what God has done uh, for each one of us changes everything about how we think and how we live. And in many ways, that's really the message of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter is a book about being uh, in the know. It's a book about being in the know about God. And it's a book about being in the know so that we can grow, so that we can make spiritual progress uh, in our lives. And we see this focus in this book by looking at the beginning of the book and the ending of the book. In 2 Peter, we have the introduction and the conclusion like bookends that highlight these truths. So if you have your Bible, and I want you to look at this with me because it'll, it'll mean a lot more if you look at it. If you look at verse 2, you have the first word uh, use of the word knowledge. And notice it's in the context text of, of growing. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's something that's going to increase in our lives. There's going to be a, a growth spiritually. And notice here it's tied to the idea of knowledge. When you go down in verse 3, you'll see the word knowledge again. You'll see it in verse 5 and verse 6. And verses 5 through 7 are all about growing spiritually, about adding to our faith um, uh, moral excellence and moral excellence and knowledge and so on. It's all about a, a, a pattern and a process of growth. So at the beginning of 2 Peter, we see this idea of, of knowledge and of growth. And by the way, the word knowledge is found 16 times in its various forms in 2 Peter. It's really the, the key word in the book is, is to know. 
Now go to the very end of the book. Turn back to the very end of 2 Peter and verse 17 and 18. And he says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, something we know, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, he mentions knowledge in verse 17, knowledge in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, that we're to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So when you look at the beginning of 2 Peter, the end of 2 Peter, we see this idea of of knowing, things you and I are to know, and the idea that we're to be growing. So we could summarize the message of 2 Peter in many ways in saying that growing Christians are knowing Christians. If you and I are going to be growing spiritually, there's things we have to know. You have to know to grow. Now we're not talking here just about head knowledge or intellectual knowledge. A lot of people I know know a lot about the Bible, but there's not much spiritual growth taking place in their lives. It doesn't appear there's a lot of of transformation happening. Now, we're talking here about knowledge that works its way down into our heart and to our life and that transforms the way we live. And so you and I grow in proportion as we know. By that, I I mean I get a, a real spiritual knowledge that's lived out in life. So that's why I've titled this series in 2 Peter, Know and Grow. And by the way, one of our core values here at Faith Bible Church is to grow in Christ. Some of you may know we have four core values. The first is we want people to believe the gospel. Because obviously there's no growing without faith in Christ. So we want people to believe the gospel. But our second core value is we want people to grow in Christ. Then we want them to connect with others and uh, share and serve the, the church and the world. But the second of those core values is to grow. We'll, we'll spend a lot of time talking about that uh, here in 2 Peter. Now, let me just give a brief flyover of the book here. Um, by the way, let me just say this as well. Uh, this week and, and maybe in the subsequent weeks, one of the great things you could do is just sit down and read 2 Peter from beginning to end. I just read it uh, uh, probably 30 minutes ago before I came in here, and it took me about six or seven minutes to read the book of 2 Peter, 61 verses. And you could read it, you know, read it every morning for, for day after day and, and allow God to, to, to cause the, the truths in this book to permeate your life. But this book, 2 Peter, along with the book of Jude, is often called the dark corner of the New Testament because they talk a lot about false teachers. We'll see that in 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, one writer called uh, the book of 2 Peter the ugly stepchild of the New Testament. Not a very flattering picture. It's been called the most neglected book in the New Testament. And that's sad because we're going to find some rich, life-changing truths here in this book. And so we don't want it to be a book that we neglect in our spiritual lives. Now let me give four simple points to kind of fill in the background. Just talk for a minute about the author, the audience, the aim of this book, what was the purpose of it. And then just quickly look at the arrangement of it. And then we'll get into these first two verses. Uh, The author here at the beginning calls himself Simon Peter. Simon, of course, is uh, uh, the Greek form of the Hebrew name Simeon. So his name literally was Simeon, Simeon Peter. Now he adds the name Peter here, which was, of course, a nickname that that Jesus gave to him. Um, It's it's Cephas in the Aramaic, it's Peter. But both of these words, Cephas and Peter, Cephas in the Aramaic, Peter in the Greek, both mean rock. And so he uses his Jewish name, Simeon, and he uses his Greek name here, uh, Peter. Now, 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You can look at commentaries and study this on your own. Um, 2 Peter is the most disputed book in the New Testament concerning authorship. And so some in the early church didn't want to make it part of the canon of New Testament Scripture. And there's different reasons people have for that, um, but it was accepted in the canon of Scripture in the early church. But the reason people rejected it as part of the canon of Scripture is they said, you know, Peter didn't really write it, and they have reasons for that. But the most convincing reason for me, for, for Peter's authorship of this, first of all, the author claims to be Peter, and we're going to see on down further in chapter 1, the author claims to have been an eyewitness of Jesus at his transfiguration. So if Peter didn't write it, whoever's writing it is lying, and it's interesting, in chapter 2, the whole chapter is about false teachers. And it'd be odd to have somebody writing a book about false teachers who themselves are fraud. So to me, the whole book is corrupt if Peter uh, didn't write it. And so you can read and look at the, the reasons why people reject Peter's authorship, but I think it's uh, rock solid that Peter wrote this book uh, that we have here in the canon of Scripture. So that's all I'll say about that. Uh, but, but in 1 Peter, all Peter says is Peter. But here in 2 Peter, it's Simon Peter. And why both names? Many people believe that he's emphasizing his two lives, his life before Christ and his life after Christ. Remember when Jesus met Peter? He said, you are Simon. You will be Peter. And Jesus was highlighting to him what he, what he is and what he would be, what Jesus would do with his life, the present and the future, because Jesus saw what he was going to make of him. Your name's Simon, but you're going to be Peter. You're going to be a rock. Shaky Simon became the solid rock in the hands of the master as Jesus transformed his life. By the way, this is a great tribute to Peter's humility. He includes his old name there. He used to be Simon, but now he's Peter. And I think it's also a picture for us in this book that's so much about spiritual growth of what happened in Peter's life and how God changed him and shaped him from being Simon uh, to being Peter, a uh, rock uh, upon whom uh, he could uh, do great work in the early church. So Jesus knows what he can make of us. He knows what we are, and he knows what he can do with us. And you and I may not look like much now, but by God's grace, he continued to work in our lives, and he can turn uh, sand uh, to stone. Notice Peter calls himself a bondservant, better, better translated really a slave. He's a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter was the greatest of the twelve, yet he calls himself nothing but a slave of Jesus Christ. And he's an apostle of Christ. The word apostle means someone who's sent out. But it's not just someone sent, it's someone sent with the delegated authority of the one who sent them. So that apostle, whoever they are, they carry the authority of the one who sent them. And so Peter here is an apostle, an ambassador, one sent out with the authority of Jesus Christ, with a special call and a special commission to establish the church. Now as Peter writes this letter, the end of his life is pretty close for him. Um, life is ebbing away. He's probably in his late 60s, and he will die. He'll be crucified by Nero. In fact, if you look down in uh, verse 14, he says, Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Uh, Nero died in 68 AD, and so we know Peter was crucified sometime before that. 
Uh, the apostle Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Peter was crucified, and church tradition says that Peter wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the manner um, of his Lord. So he's brutally killed by the Roman Empire. And so this is Peter's last will and testament. Peter's conscious that his death is rapidly approaching. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, he uses this opportunity to share the deepest, abiding, most urgent concerns on his heart. So these are the final words, the final inspired words of the apostle Peter. Now the audience of this book, he simply says in verse 1, to those who've received a faith is the same kind as ours. That's all that he says about the audience to whom he's writing. But if you go over to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, he says there, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So many believe, and I agree with this view, that Peter's writing to the same people that he wrote 1 Peter to. He says, I'm writing a second letter uh, to you. So it's the same audience. So I've got a, a slide here that shows uh, the area. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, he wrote to people in Bithynia, Pontus, Cappadocia, Galatia, and Asia. So that's the area of kind of central uh, and, uh, and uh, northern modern Turkey. Um, so that's the area Peter's writing to, believers scattered around uh, through that area uh, that we know today as modern Turkey. Now, what do we know about these believers? Well, in chapter 2, we're going to find out they were besieged by false teachers. This church was besieged by false teachers who were leading them astray. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, which obviously is right in the middle of the three chapters, that's really the core of the book where he's going to take on these false teachers. So that's the main impetus really for this letter is to counteract these false teachers uh, before Peter meets his demise. And so we're not sure what this false teacher, the nature of it exactly was, but it may have been an embryonic form of Gnosticism. Um, the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis or, or gnosis, and the key word in 2 Peter is gnosis or epigenosis, to know. So he may be using this word uh, to kind of uh, be a polemic, if you will, kind of against this idea of Gnosticism. But there's certainly a parallel today uh, with our day with Second Peter. Um, the church today is besieged by false teaching and moral compromise all around us. Um, it's exploding. A denial of the inspiration and the infallibility of the Bible. Um, a denial or a diminishing of the idea of the deity of Christ. I'm an elevation of personal experience over objective truth. Salvation by, by faith alone and Christ alone is challenged as people add their own works to salvation. There's a denial today by many of a literal hell. There's just kind of a general disinterest in, in many churches in, in doctrine at all. And there's an acceptance and even applauding of, of same-sex marriage and all the gender confusion we see out there today. So the church of Jesus Christ today um, is in trouble as it's besieged by false teaching. We're going to talk about that a lot um, in chapter 2 because really false teachers never change over time. The, the same things they were dealing with are the same things uh, we see today. Now let's talk just for a moment about the aim of this book. Why did Peter write this book? I've got a slide up here that'll give this to you. You can write this down if you want. I, I got this from, from others and put it together. Uh, but the aim of this book, the reason he wrote it, is Peter wrote this to call these Christians to spiritual growth. 
so that they could combat false teaching as they await the coming of Christ. Because chapter 1 is really about, about growing uh, spiritually. Chapter 2 is about false teachers, and chapter 3 is about the second coming of Christ. So you put those three things together, we're to be growing spiritually so we can combat false teaching and stand against it as we await uh, the coming uh, of Jesus Christ. And uh, 2 Peter is very different than 1 Peter. There's some contrast between the two books, and again, the next slide will show that. In 1 Peter, remember when we studied that book together, there was opposition from the outside. In 2 Peter, it's more opposition from the inside. In 1 Peter, the key idea was hope. In 2 Peter, it's knowledge. Um, 1 Peter focuses on the death and resurrection of Christ, whereas 2 Peter focuses more on the return of Christ. And 1 Peter was more comfort for the afflicted. Here it's more affliction for those who are comfortable, uh, this idea of false teaching. Now, final, one final thing before we get into the book here, just kind of by way of, way of uh, introduction, is the arrangement of this book. Um, again, this book is arranged around the key thought that growing Christians are knowing Christians. But what do we need to know to be growing? And again, well, I've got a couple forms of the outline up here. You can see one that's in your, uh, in your uh, notes. But chapter 1 is an exhortation in the truth. Chapter uh, 2 is exposing the faults. Chapter 3 is expecting the Savior. So in chapter 1, we kind of look within. Chapter 2, we look around. Chapter 3, we look ahead. You have exhortation, then a denunciation of false teachers. Then you have this anticipation of the future. Then I got one, uh, a couple of other ones here just to kind of summarize the book for us. Um, chapter 1 answers the question, how can I grow in grace? How can I grow spiritually? That's a question all of us should be interested in. Chapter 2, what should I expect from false teachers? And then chapter 3 tells us how it's all going to end. And those are three pretty practical questions. How can I grow in Christ? And what should I expect from false teachers? And how's everything ultimately going to end? And the book of Peter, of 2 Peter, answers uh, those key questions for us. Uh, so chapter 1 is uh, be growing. Chapter 2 is beware. Chapter 3 is be ready. Now, we'll, we'll develop a lot of the background of the book more as we go along, but with that kind of view from, from 30,000 feet, let's get into the book now itself and uh, get into verses 1 and 2. Now, Peter opens this book with a rich review of God's work in salvation. Um, Peter's audience, again, is besieged by false teaching, and Peter will deal with that head on in chapter 2 and really in chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, there are people who are denying the coming of Christ, the second coming. That's probably part of this false teaching. But before launching into his diatribe against these false teachers, Peter reminds the believers of their salvation. So before he moves in chapter 2 to the counterfeit, he wants to present the real in chapter 1. And so the most important thing for these believers and for us to get a full grasp of is our salvation. Because that's really the launching pad for our spiritual lives. We have to know in order to grow. There's no growing without knowing. And the first thing we need to know is our salvation. It's first things first. And so the foundation of everything here is in verse 1 and verse 2. Um, Haddon Robinson was a great Bible teacher, a great preacher. And uh, one time he tells a story about seeing an, an old recipe for rabbit stew. And it started out with this injunction, first catch the rabbit. And I like that because some things have to take place before other things, right? 
Some things are key to everything else that follows. And that's true in our spiritual lives. The beginning point is our salvation. We need to know our salvation to be able to grow spiritually. So verses 1 through 11 are all about spiritual growth. And really, it's, it's one long sentence. 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11 is one long sentence. And we have four key truths here about our salvation. I want to just touch on these this morning, and we'll develop this more as we go along. But the first thing God wants us to know about our salvation is its source. Notice uh, verse 1, to those who've received a faith of the same kind as ours. The words there, have received, literally mean to obtain by lot, like casting lots, to receive something by casting lots. Or it came then to mean something obtained from divine will. Because back in that day, people believed that when you cast the lots, the gods controlled them. So to obtain by lot meant to obtain by divine will. So what that means to us really here at the outset is the power for you and for me to believe the gospel is itself a gift from God. Notice to those who have received a faith. Even the faith with which we believe the gospel is not by human effort. It's not something that we conjure up. We can't produce it. It can't be produced by the human will. You and I are spiritually dead, so we can't even believe the gospel on our own. So faith is the God-given capacity to trust God, and faith issues forth from the sovereign purpose and will of God. So even the faith that you and I exercised to believe in Christ did not originate in us. It originated in God. We have faith because God graciously willed to give it to us. A lot of you all know the, the great verses, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on what is the, the uh, modifier of the that. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Some say the that is grace. Some say the, the that is faith. Probably in the context, the that is the whole by grace through faith salvation. All of it is the gift of God. It's not of works lest we should boast. But part of that, that uh, by grace through faith salvation is faith. So he's saying all of that is a gift of God. None of it is by works lest anyone should boast. In Philippians 1.29, Paul said this, For to you it's been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but to suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you for Christ's sake to believe. To be granted means to, to be gifted or to be given something. So it's been given to us or granted to us to believe. So the first thing you and I need to get straight about our salvation, if we're really going to be launched forward in our spiritual life to grow, is we need to understand the source of our salvation. Dr. S. Lewis Johnson who was the pastor in Dallas at the Believer's Chapel for many years and then taught at Dallas Seminary. He says this. This is a great quote I read this week from him. Faith is something that God grants to us. We cannot believe of ourselves. We do not have the power to believe of ourselves. There does not exist within the deadness of the human heart and the rebellion of the human heart and the corruption of the human heart and the wickedness of the human heart any power by which it may lay hold of God itself. 
You see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring a man or a woman to faith in Christ. So if you've been enlightened so that you've come to know and understand the Lord Jesus as the Savior of men and as the one who gives eternal life and you've received that life, then you shouldn't thank God for the salvation and yourself for the faith, but you should thank Him for the salvation and for the faith by which you relied upon that which Jesus Christ had done. That's powerful, but it's true. We've received a faith. You and I go off and we thank God. God, thank you for the salvation you've given to me. You and I should go to him regularly and say, God, thank you not only for saving me, but thank you for giving me the faith to lay hold of the truth uh, that's found in Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer said it like this years ago, God is never found accidentally. It's a great statement. God's never found accidentally. God lets us find him. God gives us the faith to lay hold of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God draws us to himself and he gives us the faith to trust in him. It's interesting the way 2 Peter begins. If you turn back just a few pages to 1 Peter, 1 Peter begins the same way. In 1 Peter, how does he start in verse 1? At the end of the verse, he says, those who are chosen or elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I mean, Peter knows how to begin a letter, doesn't he? He doesn't uh, step right off into the shallow water. He jumps right into the deep end. First Peter, he starts with election and, and with the foreknowledge of God. And here in 2 Peter, he begins that we've received a faith. And on down in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he's going to mention God's calling and God's choosing us. So Peter begins with a focus here on the sovereignty of God um, in our salvation, the source of it. We have received faith. Now, the second thing about our salvation is it's standing. Notice he says you've received a faith as the same kind as ours. The King James says like precious faith. The English Standard Version says a faith of equal standing with ours. The NIV says a faith as precious as ours. And the Phillips translation says a faith as valuable as ours. But the word that's used here literally means of the same kind or quality. And when he says, as the same kind as ours, the ours there, I think Peter's referring to the apostles. And so what he's saying here, you believers there living up in the northern part of modern day Turkey, you received your faith. And the faith you received is as the same value and is the same equality and kind as ours, speaking of the apostles. So what an encouragement that is uh, to you and to me. Your faith and my faith is as equal value and equal standing with the closest, earliest followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, my faith is equal to the faith of Billy Graham's, uh, God rest his soul, when he was alive. Or with John MacArthur. Or some other person that you greatly admire. Whoever it is maybe that you greatly admire as a believer. Your faith is equal to their faith. There are no first and second class Christians. The old saying says, you know, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come the same way with a, 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 a like valuable faith in Jesus Christ. We all, come, we all come in by the same equally precious faith, the equally pre precious privileges, the equal standing and rank before God. And so the faith, the faith of the weakest, humblest, simplest believer on earth right now is equal in the sight of God with the faith of Peter and Paul or John or whoever the greatest believers are on the face of the earth today. 
Now, certainly after we become a believer, we grow in faith. So some people have a greater measure of faith because they exercise it and they grow in faith. But as far as the faith that brings us right standing before God, everyone's faith is of equal value. Now, the third thing we need to know about our salvation is its substance. Notice he says, to those who've received a faith of the same kind as ours, literally you could translate that, in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The substance of our salvation is the saving righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's by faith that you and I lay hold of the righteousness of Christ. And this righteousness is often called imputed righteousness. The word impute means to credit When you trust Christ and lay hold of Him by faith, God imputes to us or credits to our account in heaven the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. All the way back in Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Romans 4, 5 says, To the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God in him. Our experience as a believer begins with a transaction. When I believe in Jesus Christ, all my sin is taken away and all of his righteousness becomes my righteousness. It's a transaction. What's mine becomes his. What's his becomes mine. And that is the heart of the essence of the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way that we can begin to be right with God is by uh, the righteousness that's given to us in Jesus Christ. Look, you and I have to come and admit that we have no righteousness of our own. We have to accept the righteousness God gives to us uh, through Jesus Christ. We come to Him, we, we repudiate our own accomplishments and our own righteousness, and we trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I come and trust in His righteousness to save me because I'm bankrupt and I'm devoid of any righteousness on my own to please a holy God. It's what Martin Luther used to call an alien righteousness. It's, It's a righteousness that's alien to me. But God gives that righteousness to me through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's something here we don't want to miss at the end of verse 1. Notice it's by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have one definite article followed by two nouns, which means our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the same person. So verse 2 distinguishes the Father and the Son. It mentions God and of Jesus our Lord. But the end of verse 1, it's one definite article followed by these two nouns that means both refer to the same person. So this is one of the clearest statements in the New Testament of reference to the deity of Christ, written by Peter who spent three years uh, with the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is our Savior, but He's also God. Jesus is God and Jesus is a Savior. So the righteousness we're receiving is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but it's the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's credited uh, to our account. Look, Look, the good news of the gospel is the good news because of the bad news. The bad news is you and I are bankrupt. We have no righteousness of our own. And that's what makes the good news so good is that God comes and He gives us the gift of righteousness through simple faith and trust uh, in Jesus Christ. And our salvation is all of God. God gives us the faith to believe and when we believe, He credits to us 
the righteousness of Christ. H.A. Ironside years ago told a story about a man who got up in a church one time and testified how God had sought him and how God had found him and how God had saved him from his sins. It was a very moving testimony to the glory of God. But after the meeting, a man came up to him and took him aside and said, I appreciate all that you said that God did for you, but you didn't tell us what you did. He said, you should have mentioned something about your part. And the man said, oh, he said, you're right. He said, oh, I apologize. He said, I should have mentioned that my part was running away. He says, God was running after me, and God's part was running after me until he found me. When it comes to salvation, it's been well said, all that you and I really bring to the table is our sin. It's all we bring. And God comes, and he gives us the gift of faith. And through that faith, we, we grasp when we lay hold of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's credited to our account. And this is where our knowledge of God begins. And if we don't get this right, I think, and don't understand what God has really done for us, it's going to stunt our growth and set us off on a wrong path spiritually. So we need to get this down and understand what God has done through His grace and His mercy in saving us from our sins. We get that right. We understand our salvation. Then we're set to build upon that and to grow a, a strong, uh, secure life in Jesus Christ. Well, the final thing I see here, we'll just touch on this for a moment in verse 2, is, is, is about our salvation, is it's spread. What I mean by that is once we become a believer, then we grow. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And we all know that grace is the, the free, unmerited favor of God. It's actually not even just God giving us what we don't deserve, but it's God giving us something when we deserve the opposite. But then peace is the effect of receiving God's grace. When we know the grace of God, then we can have uh, the peace of God. But he says here, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So we receive God's grace and peace when we believe. But then he says, we need these to be expanded and be multiplied in our lives. Kind of like in, in abundant, unending streams, we need the grace of God and the peace of God to be multiplied and increase in our hearts and our lives. We, we need more and more of God's grace. We need more and more of God's peace. Now, for a lot of people, saving grace is the only kind of grace they know about. Now, they got saved by the grace of God, and, but they're not increasing in grace and experiencing all the other aspects of God's grace that he has for them. It's like uh, last year, we went over to Paris, I had mentioned, and went to a couple museums while we were there. Everybody has to go to the Louvre, I guess. We went there, and we went also to the Orsay Museum. And they're just filled with, with paintings and some, some of the greatest paintings in the world. But think about if someone went in there day after day after day, and they went in there, and they set the chair down and just stared at one of the paintings that was in there. And they did that just day after day after day in their life. All, all they looked at was one painting. Well, it's a beautiful painting. It's a wonderful painting to see, but they would miss out on all the others. And I think that's how a lot of people are as believers. Uh, we, we, we only look at one portrait, if you will, in the gallery of God's grace, and that's God's grace in saving us. And that's a wonderful portrait to look at. But we don't grow in grace and let peace be multiplied in our lives. And we miss out on many other portraits of God's grace in his gallery of grace. Look, when we come to know God through Jesus Christ, we come to know his grace and we come to know his peace. 
But there are many other portraits of God's grace that you and I need to see and we need to experience. And he says we come to see these and they're multiplied in our lives in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The rest of our life after we become a believer is a pursuit of a deeper knowledge of the Lord. And as we come to know him more deeply, his grace and his peace is multiplied in our lives and we grow in grace. We'll talk about this more as we go along, but one of the ways, of course, we come to know God more deeply, the primary way is through his word. And that's the importance of being here every week as we come together to study the word of God together and to know him more deeply. And we see his grace and peace multiplied in our lives. As that happens, we grow in grace and we come to know all the other aspects of the grace of God, his his strengthening grace, his sustaining grace, suffering grace. Um, sharing grace, serving grace, singing grace, sufficient grace. All these different kinds and aspects of the grace of God in His beautiful gallery of grace. And it all comes to those who embrace the gospel and then pursue a deeper knowledge of God and Jesus Christ through the Word. The word knowledge that's used here in verse 2 is not just the word gnosis or gnosis. But it's epigenosis. It means a full knowledge, a full experiential, complete knowledge of God. As we come to know Him more deeply, we experience more and more of His grace and more and more of His peace. Someone said, said it like this this week. I like this. It said, the Christian is a God explorer. It's a good way to look at ourselves as believers. We're God explorers. The focus of our lives is to pursue Him and to explore Him and to know more and more of Him through His Word. And as we do that, His grace and peace are multiplied and spread in our lives. It's wave after wave of grace and peace. Back early uh, in the, the war on terror, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld coined a term, and he referred to the known knowns. That is, things that we know that we can know. And there are many known knowns in the Christian life. But none is richer than our salvation. It's it's a known, known for us. And God wants us to be in the know about our salvation so that we can grow uh, in that salvation. There was uh, a group of tourists visiting a a picturesque village years ago. And they walked by an old man leaning against a fence. And in kind of a patronizing way, they said, were any great men born in this village? And the old man replied, nope. He said, only babies. And I like that because no one's born great. Nobody's born great. And the same is true in the spiritual life. Nobody's born great. We're all born spiritually into this world. When we're born again, we come in as babies. We have to grow and we have to mature spiritually. There's no great Christians who are born. It happens over time as God grows us and God works in our lives. But to grow, we have to know. And the most important thing we know is our salvation. And who who did it for us? The source of it, the substance of it. So let's be knowing, growing Christians. And I pray that God will use our study in 2 Peter to help us do that. And that we'll pick up there next time as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for who he is and what he's done for us. Father, we thank you for this salvation you've provided for each one of us. We don't even bring the faith to the table. You give us that as a gift. 
And through that, you give us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone here this morning outside of Christ, may you draw them to yourself this morning. May they believe and take this gift of salvation that you offer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, help us to be growing Christians. Help us not to be satisfied with where we are. Father, help us to know you in a deeper way day by day so that grace and peace can be multiplied in our lives in abundant streams. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for the benediction as we uh, leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here this Sunday as we kind of launch into this study, and hopefully we've kind of whetted your appetite here this morning, and you'll want to be back uh, maybe next time to pick up as we're going to look at how we grow spiritually here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, But if you are visiting with us, if you go out these doors, just straight down this uh, hallway on your right side, there'll be a welcome center. It's brand new. This is the first week, so you can go kind of kick it off for us. And uh, go down there, and there's some folks there that would love to tell you more about our church and and, uh, give you any information that you need. Um, I'll I'll be down front here after the service with our elders who are here. We'd love the opportunity to get acquainted with you and maybe answer any questions you have about uh, the church this morning. Let's bow our heads now. Let's uh, pray together. Let's have the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Oh, la, 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 la. Oh.